0: Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to Episode 74. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you are not paying attention.
1: So my first realization of the way things were going to go with him happened the day I buried Cheney. When he put out a tweet that I saw two hours before I was supposed to leave for her funeral that blamed her murder on the Russia investigation. Mm. That was my first realization, and it got me so enraged that I rewrote the ending of my eulogy to specifically address the president and what I
0: wanted from him. If anyone has a right to be angry, it's Fred Guttenberg. His beautiful 14-year-old daughter, Jamie, was shot and murdered in the Parkland school shooting on February 14th, 2018. On Valentine's Day. The day after Jamie's murder, Fred decided to attend a public vigil in Parkland and the mayor invited Fred to speak. His words shook our country and Fred has not stopped since. He's been fighting, he's been advocating, he's been teaching, and he's our guest today. He is our important, iconic, inspiring American that will help us understand our country's past, our country's present, and our country's future. When we say look for the helpers, Fred Gutenberg is the epitome of a helper. And his new book is called Find the Helpers. Even in the darkest times, there are helpers out there. And we're going to need them because these are some very dark times. President Mayhem's dystopian America is in full bloom right now. It's maybe the worst it's ever been. A massive hurricane is slamming our country. California is on fire. Violence in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Russians are attacking our troops in Syria. The NBA season may be canceled entirely. All on the same day, Trump will accept his party's nomination for president. From the White House. This is President Mayhem's America, and this is why we'll need the helpers like Fred more than ever. But first, there are some issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should make everyone angry. And that starts with the Republican National Convention. It's been said when fascism comes to America, it'll be wrapped in the flag and carrying the cross. And the RNC has been wrapped in the flag and carrying the cross. I've been to every political convention for the Democrats and the Republicans since 2004, and we've never seen anything like this. Wednesday's theme was land of heroes, and it was the most dishonest, manipulative, and dangerous night of all. Don't buy it. Don't let him do it. Don't let him own the flag. Our military, our police, our vets, they don't belong to Trump or Pence or the Republicans or the Democrats. Our men and women in uniform serve and represent all of us. They're our kids, no matter what party or no party at all we come from. They're Republicans, Democrats, independents, and everything else. And they're not props. We can show what patriotism and the flag are really all about by speaking up and pushing back, especially if you're one of those men and women who wore the uniform. We must stay vigilant, especially now. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention, especially now. And if you're looking for the helpers, they are out there. That's what Fred Gutenberg is all about. That's what so many of our guests have been all about. And that's what Joe Biden's all about. And I want to take a minute to break down my thoughts on his historic speech from last week. I thought it was a masterful and historic night in what was an otherwise bumpy convention. It's the night that the Democrats, maybe for the first time in a generation, snatched the flag, patriotism, and the national defense mantle back from the Republicans in the eyes of most Americans, regardless of what party you come from. Biden made a very strong case for why he's ready to be commander in chief, because he is ready more than any other candidate in our lifetime. And I say that as a veteran, as an independent, as an activist, and as a patriot. And I thought Biden gave an outstanding speech, the speech of his life. Excellent tone, message, delivery. Joe Biden's entire life prepared him for that moment. And he was ready for it. He rose to the challenge. He brought the fire and the heart that makes you love and trust him. Just when America needed him the most, he delivered. It was a bit too long, and we were all worried he was going to run out of gas, but he nailed it. And Joe Biden delivered. And I've seen that up close. Joe Biden delivers because he's a good man. He's one of the best men I've ever met. He's a true, brave, selfless leader. And that's why those close to me know that he's been my candidate from the very start, and I've talked about it on this show for months. He'll be a president we can trust, a president we can be proud of, a president our allies and our troops can count on, a president our kids can look up to. He's not perfect, but he's the only way we've removed Trump and start to move our country forward. Now, more than any time in history, we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Joe Biden's not perfect, but Joe Biden's good, very good. And the alternative is the end of the country and the world as we know it. So it's time for us all to unite as Americans and get him elected. Republicans, Democrats, independents, libertarians, socialists, we must be united and get him elected and stop Trump. The future of our country depends on it. We are one team, one fight. We must stay focused and stay vigilant, just like Fred Gutenberg. Fred Gutenberg had a professional life over decades that was in sales and management with Johnson & Johnson. Then he had 15 years as an entrepreneur. He built businesses and ran 19 Dunkin' Donuts. And a lot of folks don't know this, but only four months prior to the murder of his daughter, Jamie, Fred's brother, Michael, died in October 2017 from cancer related to his service on 9-11. Fred's brother, Michael, was a 9-11 first responder. He was one of the original first responders at the World Trade Center with a team of doctors who got trapped inside the World Trade Center as it collapsed. Amazingly, the room they were inside did not collapse, and Michael and his team of physicians spent 16 days at Ground Zero taking care of others. Fred's gonna tell you that story, and Fred's gonna tell you why he draws strength from it now, and why he can even draw strength from the murder of his daughter. After these two unimaginable tragedies, Fred's traveled the country inspiring others, He's talked about these events, but he's also talked about perspective and perseverance and toughness and resilience and love. He's talked about his most private moments, and he's been at the center of some of the most public moments in recent history, including getting thrown out of a State of the Union address by Donald Trump. He's going to talk about that as well. But Fred is powerful. Fred is passionate. Fred does not bullshit. And Fred uses his speech and his experience to inspire others. This is one of the most raw, honest, inspiring conversations we've ever had on Angry Americans. We say, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Fred Gutenberg is angry, and he has a right to be angry, but he's also turned that anger into positive impact. He's shown us how you can pull light from the darkest of times. He's shown us how we can be united in the face of adversity. He's shown us what the goodness of America can look like. And Fred's showing us now, even in this darkest of times, what the brighter future of America can look like thanks to the helpers. When I say look for the helpers, I mean helpers like Fred Gutenberg. And I'm honored and humbled he's joining us for this important conversation right now. And just like every episode and all our guests, this episode and Fred are bringing a heavy dose of the four eyes: integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. The four eyes are what this show is all about, and the four eyes are what Fred Gutenberg is all about. When the chaos is happening, when people are dying, when things are on fire, when it seems like there's no way forward, leaders step up to help us forward leaders step up to help others forward leaders step up to help america forward fred gutenberg is one of those leaders and we're going to need him now more than ever just like we're going to need you now more than ever welcome to angry americans welcome to episode 74 Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the world, welcome to a very, very special, very timely, uh, very important conversation. Uh, we've got a man joining us today that I think is a true American hero, someone who has inspired me, someone is, who is a hero to my wife and my entire family, and to our community and our state and our country. Uh, and I'm really, really thrilled and honored he can join us. The great and powerful Fred Gutenberg joins us today on Angry Americans. How are you, sir?
1: After that introduction coming from you, I'm going to cry. <laughs> um, seriously cuz I feel that way about you and and so thank you. Oh, I mean it's 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 a true
0: honor and I'm really glad like the the world is exploding right now in in a, in a totally it different is. way and I think a conversation with you can kind of bring us back to center and bring us back to what's right and bring us back to what's good. Um, But you're also a New Yorker and uh, you and I have a lot of connections related to New York and different communities. And before we get started, uh, folks who are listening won't be able to see, you got the coolest chair of anybody (laughs) I've ever (laughs) spoken to, Fred. So what's going on with, it looks like a video gaming chair.
1: Well, so I guess it is what they call a gaming chair. I'm not a gamer. (laughs) <laughs> but I saw it in Office Depot and I'm like, those are the Ferrari colors. And I'm like, I got to have that chair. So, I so I got it and I do, I love this chair. It doesn't look, just look at it. It's comfortable. It feels great.
0: Um, well, so, shout
1: out to the Walmart
0: Ferrari chair, right? I mean, that's, it's,
1: it's, it's, it's perfect.
0: It's the best podcasting chair I've seen. And I'm on a rickety old 1973 relic that's hurting my ass. So I'm going to have to upgrade soon, but um I'm, I'm so thrilled you can join us a lot to get into fred but the first question i ask of all our guests since the pandemic hit and now there's
1: a hurricane hitting uh fred where are you and how are you currently uh right outside of Asheville in north carolina um, this is our family's happy place so we come here a lot um but we need peace and uh you know We'll be going back to Florida uh, soon, but um, this is where we come for peace. So that kind of gets to your second question, which is uh, when I'm here, I'm good. Um, mm. When we're in the mountains, and the mountain air, uh, kind of away from everything that's a reminder about what happened to my family, mm. we're good. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, Jamie's with us every second of every day, mm. but being here and not having it bombard you every time you drive down the street, you go to the supermarket, you pass the place where she used to dance or the school where she went and got killed. It's good for us. It's mm. healing for
0: us. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm so looking forward to your guidance uh, on how to deal with, the all of it, but especially the pain you've experienced—pain that that most of us can't imagine. But I think everybody in America is experiencing a degree of pain right now, and and maybe Crazy some tra- some tragedy, right? Yeah. And I think that that you're going to help us. I hope and I know you know journey through that. But uh, another part of this show is is one way to deal with that pain in some levels is to have a drink once in a while. Uh, and I ask all of our guests, and I will ask you, Fred Gutenberg, what is your drink of choice?
1: Well, in the non-alcoholic world, I drink coffee all day long. Uh, but at night, just bring me an old-fashioned,
0: and I'm good. Uh, yeah. And why do you so. like an old-fashioned, Fred? What
1: is it about an old-fashioned? You know, that's a great question, because it's not just the taste. But it it brings me... Um, I drink it slowly. There's a lot of times I'll drink other drinks. I drink them quickly. And an old fashioned. I just enjoy drinking it slowly in a relaxing way. I guess there's a contentment to it. Mm. Uh, But I do. I I love my old fashions. Mm. I'm not sure what that says about me.
0: (laughs) It's always a great insight into our guests. And I feel you on the coffee. I mean, I think I'm already three in today. and uh that's become my day
1: i I don't talk to people until i've had three cups
0: (laughs) you well you've got your new book coming you're going to need more of it in the next couple of weeks yeah um but we have we have a lot of connections and i've been following your journey and you're in north carolina you're in florida you know you you're connected to new york um we are we are we are mixing it up here at righteous headquarters of the pandemic undisclosed location the Camaro is not behind me right now I've got Which is a just a
1: disappointment because I, I love know, that car. I'm
0: sorry Fred I will make that up to you but I do have my my son's uh BMX bike and uh and a weird stuffed pheasant and lots of monster trucks and shovels it's like it's truly the garage but we don't have my car but uh, I know I disappointed you in, in in that regard, and I will make it up to you one day. But it takes me to a question I ask of all of our guests. Fred, when you were growing up, what was your first car?
1: So like you, I'm a car nut. I love cars. I'm growing up and built cars. When I was 14, my dad knew that I was crazy about wanting to learn how to work on cars, and he bought me a 69 Cutlass. Wow! For a hundred and fifty bucks, a piece of garbage, and it started this journey that I've gone on the rest of my life with cars. Um, in fact, you know, thinking back to your Camaro, one of my early cars when I was in high school was also a '69 Camaro Rally Sport. Uh, which, uh, so yeah, I'm a car nut. Um, that is my hobby. If if anybody wants to know what I do to tune. Everything else out, it has something to do with cars.
0: Amazing. Well, when we when the pandemic is is over, or when it's changed, or when we're able, we'll have to reconnect to the classic car club and do this in person. And I would love fashion. that. I love you, you. Got to tell us about the Cutlass. What color was the <laughs> Cutlass? And in,
1: what and happened? It was to full it? of rust. <laughs> it was blue. It was full of rust, but it had a rocket three hundred and fifty engine in it. Um, um, and it was, you know, before that car. I used to fix bicycles, mini bikes, lawnmowers, but I needed to step it up. And so my dad did what dads do. He didn't spend a lot of money on it, um, but it started a lifelong thing between me and cars. And um, I'll always have that. And this was in, it was this in Long Island, Fred? It was, it was Long Island. Uh, And through high school, I had a series of cutlasses, seventy-four GTO at one point. I had a couple of Camaros. Wow! Um, oh yeah, I used to just—I would buy them, I would fix them, and then I would turn around and sell them. I would buy another.
0: So you, you have—you have one of the richest classic car uh, histories of any guest we've had in seventy-four episodes <laughs> here, Fred. So the cha- the chair was a good lead in to this to this part of the conversation. I had some cool cars back then. Very cool. Well, you've you've had uh, also an, an amazing life. You know, I, I mentioned you, you grew up in Long Island and you eventually moved down to Florida. You know, folks are going are gonna to hear about this story in your new book, which I want to get to. But yeah. you, you ran a Dunkin Donuts, right? For, for a while. Um,
1: so I had um, 19 stores at one point in Florida, and Tennessee. Um, stores in Miami, Boca, Jacksonville, um, and then around the Knoxville area. Uh, so, and what I mean this is this
0: is probably not a question you're going to get in many interviews but what was that like and and what did you learn and now you know I just noticed 3 Dunkin Donuts near me just closed you know this is the thing you never thought would close was Dunkin Donuts yeah. it seems like if they don't have a drive through they're getting hammered right now but what did yeah. what did that experience teach you that has prepared you for
1: all these other challenges in your life you know it's actually a great question uh because February 14th, 2018 kind of threw my world into chaos and life started running at a million miles a minute. And as as a franchisee with stores in multiple markets, I learned how to deal with daily chaos. Mm -hmm. You know, I learned how to multitask Um, as a small business owner. I learned how to make do with not a lot of resources And, um, you know, so I look at what I've had to do the past two and a half years, the entrepreneurial skills that were in place that helped me run my business and grow my business, they're in place now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in a weird way, my business is now the business of fighting for gun safety and all the... People that are involved in that, all the work required to achieve that, um, knowing that unlike the well-funded NRA, I do what I do as a labor of love, and I don't <laughs> have a lot of resources to do it, um, you know, And but I do it because of what happened to my family. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's the skills that I learned at that time that I've developed because of that business that I think are giving me the the, the platform that I need now. Mm. And your your new book, Fred,
0: is so perfect for this moment and for this show. I mean, folks who who know this show know that we talk about the helpers and I play the line from Mr. Rogers in just about every episode. I uh, love in, that. In the beginning, right? And your new book is called Find the helpers. helpers. And I think you're... You're going to be the king of the helpers. So you are one of the kings of the helpers right now at this Thank precarious you. moment in time. As we record this conversation, there's a hurricane hitting the South. California's yeah. on fire. Kenosha's yeah. got riots. The pandemic is raging. 180,000
1: um, people, over 180,000 already.
0: You know, the Russians just rammed into an, an, an army vehicle and, and hurt four soldiers. Nobody's even tracking on that. And Nobody's and talking we, about that. Uh, it's insane. And, and the RNC is happening. So all of, this, all of these storms are happening at the same time. And, and, and I always say in these storms, you know, look for the helpers. And, and in the midst of all these storms, here comes you know, Fred Gutenberg to join us on, on this show. So I want to, you know, part of the power of, of this book that folks may not know about is, you know, you have this deep connection to 9-11. And then also, obviously, to Parkland and this this gun activism, uh, firearms activism that you're involved in, right? And so I want to ask you, you've told the story of, uh, you've told Jamie's story and what happened in Parkland so many times, but for folks that maybe are hearing you for the first time or are thinking about picking up your book or in this moment, what do you want them to know about that now? And what do you want them to know about Jamie? and and how it folds into this part of your life and this phase of your leadership.
1: You know, so I think everyone knows my story and they know what happened to my family and 16 other families on February 14th, 2018. What I want people to know now, and I think, and I'm glad you mentioned the pandemic and some of the other things, because you now have over 180,000 people who have passed due to this pandemic. It's gonna get far worse. And they're dying alone, and they're being sick alone. And they have to get buried alone. Mm. Um, and so, what I want people to know is what I learned, which is you don't go through this alone. Mm. Rely on your other people that were a part of your life, or who likely are going to become a part of your life. Um, those are your helpers. You know, they carried me when I needed to be carried, and. They stay with me to make sure in my lowest moments, they're there for me, but that in my highest moments, they're there to cheer me on. Um, This pandemic is just creating an army of Americans who are gonna need support. And we need that army of helpers that are there to support them. But the other side of that is what I've also learned, which is, we have a responsibility to be helpers. We have a responsibility to be there for others. And so, while we all should know who we're going to rely upon, who our helpers are, it's also important that we pay attention to who we can help, mm-hmm. who we can be there for. Um, you know, listen, my crazy life isn't just about fighting for gun safety. It's a lot of the private moments where I talk to people who are going through grief because they lost someone they love and helping them on what comes next, on how to get through it. It's, it's the conversation that I have with people is the one that actually Vice President Biden had with me. Mm. who he, he was the first person who said to me, here's what it's going to be like and here's what you need to do to get through and that i i get to talk to other people about that now and share that advice and that wisdom listen we live in an amazing country the best country and we have amazing things and opportunities for us but we also have some really hard moments and this country's going through a moment like that now and We currently have a president and an administration that is throwing as much chaos into the mix, as much fuel on some really horrible fires as they can, and doing as much to distract us from the reality of things that are happening that we should be paying attention to, like what happened yesterday that you brought up in Syria with those, um, you know, um, with the Russians. Or like bounties on our soldiers, Paul, and people stop talking about it because we live in a this chaos, but we can't forget.
0: Yeah, Fred, you've been so powerful in making sure that people never forget. Um, and and I and you know, nine eleven's coming up, which is obviously very important to the show, to me, to our community, I think, to our country, and it feels like people are forgetting about that. And I want, I want to come back to it in your brother's story and how that makes up a key part of this book and, and yeah. your experience. But staying on, on the, the lessons of the, of the moments that were, I would imagine, the toughest of your life. I've been honored to work with the folks at TAPS and we've had Bonnie Carroll on the show. Um, and I've dealt with a lot of, of families of the fallen. And they've called me. I've been there in those first couple of days or hours. And, and the only thing I can usually tell them is call Bonnie. Call Bonnie and her team because they are the only ones who know what it's like. They're the only ones who know what's happening to you now, what's going to happen in the future, and what the, the future can look like. And Bonnie always says, you know, we mourn their, their passing, their loss, but we celebrate their life. And I think your your life now is a celebration of Jamie's life, a celebration of your brother Michael's life, right? Celebration of these people around you. But can you... A lot of folks are going through some hard shit right now, Fred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they're saying to themselves, you know, this is the hardest moment of my life. And frankly, for me at times, that perspective was helpful because I would look across and say, all right, here's Clay Hunt's mom who just lost her, her son to suicide. You know, here is, you know, Bonnie who lost her husband in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a plane crash. Here are people who are losing their children. I cannot imagine what you have gone through. Can you help us understand how did you get through it, Fred? I mean, how did you get through it? And, and, and what can you share about that that might help others get through it now?
1: You know, it's, it's a great, great question. Um, and this is going to maybe sound crazy. What helped me, especially getting through Jamie, you know, when my brother passed, my family had never gone through anything like that before. We've never been through any loss. I'm one of five kids. My parents are still alive. Mm-hmm. You know, We we've and we're really, really, really a close family. So that idea of that kind of loss was so new to us. And when my brother died, it felt like the worst thing I'd ever been through. Um, until my daughter died. Until my daughter was killed. And that was a thousand times worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, how do I get through it? I refuse to think of them in the past tense. That's number one. That I, I, I think of my life now as having them on both of my shoulders. And they carry me, and they push me forward. If you want to know the two greatest helpers in my life right now, it's my brother and my daughter. Uh, there was a day that I was having, probably a few months after Jamie was killed, and I was really struggling. Because I kept on thinking of Jamie in the past tense, referring to her as she was my daughter. And I struggled with that idea. I I used to say, you know, know, I I was a father of two. And one day, also I said, you know what, I am a father of two. I still have, I, I have two kids. One I get to spend with every day and hang out with and do cool things with. And when I visited a cemetery, but she's still my kid, and she's still with me, um, and she still carries me, and she still gives me motivation, but my relationship with her has changed. You know, now, instead of looking forward to certain normal milestones, my relationship with her is through memories, it's through dreams, it's through thinking through what would Jamie have done in this moment? I'm making sure I'm honoring her memory correctly. So I stopped thinking of Jamie in the past tense. And I'm, I, you know, I don't know if that will be the, what works for everyone. Because the thing that I also have learned, is so we will go through this differently. Um, and again, the person who said that to me was Vice President Biden, and he was right. And it's true in my own family. My wife and I are going through this differently. Um, so, but for me, thinking of my daughter, she's still my daughter. She's with me every second of every day, and she always will be, as not in the past tense, um, has been helpful to me. Fred, you,
0: you know, you, you have been so courageous And we've talked to a lot of folks on this show who have experienced loss, who've experienced triumph, who've been at the highest levels and the lowest levels. Um, And the thing that I have learned and we've talked about at times on the show is how much courage it takes to tell the story. And even right now, every time you tell that story on some levels, it hurts. And, and I just want to thank you for that. Mike Shinoda from Lincoln park was on this show and he he wrote this song over and over again, where he talked about how many times he had to talk about losing his friend, Chester Bennington over and over and over again. And I know that you tell that story and those stories over and over again, and they are hard and, and painful, but I want you to know that we're grateful for them. And every time you tell them you're inspiring others And that piece of Jamie is living on and inspiring you, but others as well. And we're, you know, you're a guy who two years ago wasn't on national TV. And now you've got a book Mm -hmm. coming out and you're everywhere and you're at the State of the Union, which I want to talk about. But you're a fighter now for so many others. And that took courage right? to go through that pain and then say, you know what, I'm not just going to put it in the closet. I'm going to put it out in public over and over again is so brave. And and important. And I'm I'm grateful for that. And I want you to know that. But I want to ask you now that you've you've shifted into this activism, right, which is constant on so many issues and so important. Um, you were at the State of the Union and you you got thrown out because you you, you raised your voice and, and you yeah. shouted at the president. And the only problem I had with it is that you apologized because I didn't think you needed to. I know there's a decorum and I've been at the State of the Union and I'll yeah. you flat out. There's a couple times I wanted to just stand up at the State of the Union and scream at this guy. Right. And I didn't. But I think there was a moment uh, in, in that moment where people said, who is that? What's and then, you know, the, 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 the reporters cut to you being escorted out and later you gave a statement. But that, I thought that was a very powerful moment because people kind of get lulled to sleep. Yeah, they no. get lulled to convention. They get lulled to being polite right? And you broke that. And I thought it was so important. I'm always shocked that there aren't more protesters at things like the State of the Union. But you did it in a way that sent a message and made people stop and think. So can you, yeah. I know there have, been, there have been a lot of moments in the last couple of years, but can you talk about that moment being yeah, oh at yeah. the State of the Union, what you were thinking, experiencing, and, 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 and thinking back on it now? So looking back on it now,
1: I, and my apology, just so you know, was more directed at my family Mm. and what I put them through because um, they don't listen. Like I said, we're going through this differently, um, and it puts them in an awkward position. But here's what happened that night. Um, so I was sitting there as Nancy Pelosi's guest, and um, I was in her section. Strangely, the three people sitting, not directly behind me, but one row behind that, were Kim Guilfoyle, who's Don Jr.'s girlfriend, Bradley Pascal who's Trump's campaign manager, or was until he got demoted, um, and Ronald McDaniel, the GOP chairman. Now, I don't know why they were there, and I didn't even know they were until I was getting taken out, um, and the great humanitarian of this country, Chef Jose Andres, mm-hmm. um, who should have been receiving the Medal of Honor that night was sitting behind me and pointing to them when the uh, Secret Service came and took me out, saying, what about that? Because they haven't shut up all night, basically. Hmm. They were, every time Trump said something they liked, they were hooting and hollering. So, long story short, here we are at the State of the Union, and Trump did his thing earlier in the speech, talking about illegals, as he always does, and uh, talking about how, if we just do something about that, you know, all is gonna stop. I mean, the crazy stuff. And I wanted to shout that I was so upset because I kept thinking about, like, what about my daughter Mm. um, who was killed by an American teenage man? But I didn't until later on in the speech when he said to him, your Second Amendment is under attack and I'm going to defend it, which was a load of bullshit. It's not under attack. It never was. Everybody who is a legal lawful gun owner their Second Amendment rights will remain as they are. No one will ever see a change. And that whole Republican side of the aisle just got up and started hooting and hollering. And so I yelled out nine words. What about victims of gun violence like my daughter? That was it. And for that, I got pulled out. But it was worse because I thought they were just going to send me home. Mm. They did. They put me in handcuffs they detained me they never read me my Miranda rights they were nice but they took all of my personal belongings my phone was in Nancy Pelosi's office Mm -hmm. because I was there as her guest so I couldn't even call my family which is a trigger and this is why I apologize the day my daughter died we could not reach her because she couldn't answer her phone So when I couldn't answer my phone and my wife and son are trying to call me to see what the hell is going on, they went into panic mode. It was hours later when I first spoke to them. Um, So they took me, they transported me in what I call a very solid metal box with no windows and handcuffs. I thought I was going to end up at the bottom of the Potomac. But I ended up in a detention facility, handcuffed to a wall. Uh, oh, and still no Miranda rights. They told me I was getting arrested. I asked do I need an attorney. They said no. At some point, hour, maybe an hour and a half later, they told me I was free to leave. I thought I was under arrest. They said no, change. And when I walked out, Speaker Pelosi's staff was there waiting for me. She and Congressman Deutsch intervened. Um, and I went home. But here's the thing, and it gets to what you were asking. The next day, if not for what I did, gun safety would not have been discussed. Yep. And it was. Gun safety became a topic of that state of the union because of my inability to sometimes control my emotions. And while... I've never been in handcuffs before, and I never want to be in handcuffs ever again. Um, America became my helper the next day and stood up in ways that I could not have been more proud of and happy about, and I don't regret a minute.
0: Mm. Thank you for sharing that, Fred. You know that's that's the good trouble. When I when I saw it, and uh, every time I see a protest happen at the State of the Union that's you know peaceful, um, I always say you know hell yeah. I'm, as an activist, like, I'm glad someone's um, making some good trouble forcing an issue, right? There were so many times in the early days of the Iraq war where I was stunned that there were no protesters. Yeah. Conventions were happening and people were just dying. Even this week as the RNC is happening, you know, one of the, the real dynamics of these virtual conventions is people can't protest. You know there's no there's no way to interrupt the programming unless you can hack into this somehow, but usually you have you know well, we're pretty loud on social media right. um, that's the alternative <laughs> It's true, but we can't disrupt it in the same way Correct. we could as activists and we'll adu- we'll adjust and adapt and improvise. but I, I think that that moment was so powerful because you did what an activist needs to do, which is force the issue, get people to talk about the issue they're not talking about. and on this show, when I created this show, Fred, some people said to me, it was a year and a half ago now, oh, I'm not that angry. And I'd say, okay, well, I bet you there are some issues that you are angry about. And there's some, you know, I could talk about the wars, I could talk about the pandemic as it started, and people would generally get angry. And I'd say, what about school shootings? School shootings were the issue that really seemed to make people understand the visceral reaction that I think is understandable. And we have to figure out how to process and put into positive impacts and positive energy. And you're doing that every day. And, and, and that, that, I'm sure your answer is going to be more complex than that. But I want to ask you the question I ask of, of everyone. Fred Gutenberg,
1: what makes you angry? So my answer today is different than it once would have been. Mm. Okay. Um, if you asked me that before February 14th, I would have told you people not telling the truth. Mm. What I've always said to my kids is, I don't care how bad it is. I need to know the truth, or I will not have your back because I can't be supportive of you if I don't know everything and I used to say the same thing to my employees you know the, the not knowing the truth to me is worse mm-hmm. than anything else okay I'll stand by anybody if they're telling me the truth, even if what they did is horrible mm-hmm. uh, you know so you know so not knowing the truth used to be, and it's still up there, but now it's it's this rampant gun violence that instead of having an administration that is doing more to limit it, they're actually doing everything they can to escalate it. What makes me angry happened yesterday when you see a 17 year old teenage boy walking down a city street with an AR15 while. Law enforcement is driving by him as if that's okay and somebody's laying on the street dead because that 17-year-old boy was able to acquire an AR-15 and used it, okay? What makes me angry is when peaceful protesters like Moms Demand show up just to say, we want to keep our kids safe, and they're confronted by protesters with AR-15 strapped to their backs saying, you shouldn't be doing this. So what makes me angry is this normalization that not only do we have a Second Amendment right, but that if we want, we can use our guns now to intimidate you. And if you're not careful, we're going to take those guns. We're going to kill you. What makes me angry is highlighting that St. Louis couple as if that was okay, because two nights after that couple was highlighted, you had a 17-year-old boy with an AR-15 killing another person. And you know what Trump did afterwards? He said, in essence, that words, he quote, unquote, law and order, a guy who's broken more laws, but says law and order, but not a word about who died. That gets me angry. Thank you, Fred.
0: I, I I've been looking forward to asking that question of a lot of guests, but maybe nobody more than you, because um, you know if anybody has a right to be angry, it's you. And and how you've channeled that anger has been, I think, an example in leadership and selfless service and and sacrifice. Because leadership, in my view, is often about sacrifice, and you you've done that. Um, you know, throughout your life, but now in, in moments that are so intense, and I don't think anybody can imagine. Let me let me ask you. For you're a guy who grew up in New York. You know, you grew up not far from where my wife grew up. Um, Where's wife? For a while, Oakdale and 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 uh, Rockville Center, and you know, all, uh-huh. all bounced around a bit. Um, but where you know you you've had interactions with Trump, right? Can no. you you, has he never has he never I wanted to ask this because I wasn't sure if you've ever actually spoken to him Have you spoke to him after parkland no. on the phone or in any intimate not conversation
1: once. not once so not once um, so my first realization of the way things were going to go with him happened the day I buried Jenny when he put out a tweet that I saw 2 hours before I was supposed to leave for her funeral that blamed her murder on the Russia investigation. Mm. That was my first realization, and it got me so enraged that I wrote, rewrote the ending of my eulogy to specifically address the president and what I wanted from him. I'm um, saying, in essence, don't politicize this, but if you want to do anything to truly address this issue, I will embrace you, I, I will work with you, but don't politicize this and don't lie about my daughter's murder. Mm. Uh, That was my first realization of what we were in for. But no, I've never heard from him. So about a year later, I was invited to the White House with the other Parkland families. I refused to go. I didn't want to be a part of a photo op for something that I couldn't support. And here's the issue. After Jamie was killed, The president appointed Betsy DeVos to do a report on what happened in Parkland. And they said it was going to be a deep dive. It was going to look at everything. And then the except came, except for the role of guns. So they were going to look at everything in Parkland about this gun violence incident, but they weren't going to look at the role of guns. You can't do a report on how my daughter died and not look at the role of guns. It's a farce. It's, 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 it's inconsequential. And so I refused to go to the White House because of that. Um, two days after that, I got a call from a White House senior policy advisor, Theo Wold, wanted to know why I wasn't there. And I told him. I told him the truth, which is you refused to deal with the issue of guns. You refused to look at even the simple things like maybe age of ownership or how do we lock up weapons in our report dealing with school violence. And he says, You know, you and I are more aligned than you might think. And he goes, I'd like for us to meet and continue this conversation. And I said, No. I said, Your boss talks about people like me as hating the Second Amendment, as wanting to remove the Second Amendment, and in doing so, he incites violence against people like me. So until your boss stops that, there's no need to have a conversation. So what happened is later that week, Trump apparently was very upset with the response that this report got, um, which wasn't good, and was about to go off on people like me. Theo called me back and said, I want you to know I put a stop to that. Let's meet. So I said, you know what? We'll meet. And eventually we did. We met in the executive building for an hour and a half. Um, we talked about what my vision for gun safety looks like. Haven't heard from Theo since. Some text messages, emails, left voicemails, not a word since. And so maybe they just wanted to know, okay, you know, what's the gun safety sign? Thinking, who knows? Haven't heard since. That's who they are. Mm. I'm done. There's only one solution to this. It's November 3rd. We're going to fire Trump and we're going to elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I, I,
0: I, I have my own perspective on meetings like that, Fred. And, and I've called them in the past. I don't know if it's been on this show or not, but I call them shut the fuck up meetings. <laughs> they're, they're meetings where you make enough noise that they feel the pain. But they don't want to acknowledge you and elevate you by actually having you meet with the principal. So they have a staffer come meet with you saying, "Okay, we want to hear your concerns. And then basically what they're doing is delaying you. Right. Okay, simmer down. You know, be a little quieter. We'll we'll let this. We'll let the boss know. I don't know the noncommittal on anything. And it's a shut the fuck up meeting. And if they give you eight of those meetings, you know, every six months, then you're a lot quieter over the course of four years and it causes them less pain and enables them to move forward their agenda. And it's just it's not only Trump. I mean, both parties I've seen do this, but especially principals who are sensitive about recognizing that a a Cindy Sheehan type, right? Going way, way back to the right. How do you you know, show respect towards someone like a Cindy Sheehan, but not elevate her, right? How do you, on some levels, they, they view you and me and other activists as trolls, right? And they don't want to feed the trolls and elevate the trolls. Right. But at some point, the, you know, the, the trolls become uh, the activists, become the leaders, maybe become John Lewis, right? And become members of the Senate. So I want to ask you, Fred... I want to come back and ask you specifically about Biden. And I want to ask you about your own personal political future. But you said something about that meeting. You said they they did not want to hear about your vision for gun violence. Can you summarize for us what is your vision for gun violence? Because I think you are better to share a vision than anybody I know and anybody we've had on the show. So what is what is your vision for for attacking the gun violence problem?
1: No, it's, a, it's a great question, and as I think they probably found out that day, I'm not shutting the fuck up. <laughs> um, I have been told in my life that I am relentless, and I don't know that it was always meant as a compliment, um, but I am relentless, and I'm not going away, because we are going to get gun safety passed, and here's what I'd love to see. Let's start with the easy stuff that the House has already passed, background checks, but it's not enough just to do it on the weapon. We need to address ammunition as well. You currently have about 400 million weapons on the streets already. So doing background checks on future gun purchases doesn't solve the reality that there's hardly 400 million guns out there. Here's the problem. Whether you're a legal lawful gun owner or not, you can walk into a store and buy bullets. You're, if you're a prohibited purchaser of, of weapons and you can't pass a background check, by law, you're also prohibited from buying ammunition, but there's no requirement for a background check in ammunition. So people steal weapons. They tra- privately transfer weapons. They um, you know, get a weapon from a friend because they can't walk into a sort of buy, but they then will go walk in and buy the bullets. So I think we need to extend background checks to ammunition, and we need to deal with ammunition. Uh, I also think CDC needs to be able to fully study and make recommendations. I think we need to ban assault weapons. We saw, again, just yesterday, uh, they're no longer, you know, it's not, they're clearly no longer the idea that they're just a hunting weapon is over. They are now weapons of intimidation from American to American. Okay, They need to be banned. High-capacity magazines need to be banned. Um, The thing I'd like to see, honestly, above all else, um, because I believe this is how you get long-term sustainable change, is a repeal of a law known as PLACA, which shields the gun manufacturers and the industry from liability lawsuits. You want change, open them up to litigation. Mm. Force them on the stands. Okay, it it broke the tobacco industry. And the tobacco industry is never going to be the same kind of industry. So if you want change, give me the ability to go sue Smith and Wesson and ask them about their marketing practices and ask them, you kept on saying this is just a sport weapon, okay, but yet you were producing them at a rate far beyond the needs of any sporting requirement which means you're going to end up on the streets. What did you do to mitigate against that? If it was, if, if you believe your words, why are you using all this messaging advertising-wise and targeting them towards kids? Okay? Let's, let's get them on the stands. Let's hold them accountable. You want change? You make people responsible for the fact that they directly led to the deaths of people we love? We'll get change. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you could
0: sue the tobacco makers, you can sue Oldsmobile and car companies, right? But you can't sue Smith. You can't sue right a manufacturer. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fred, and anybody who hears you talk is motivated by you and probably wants to join your team. We have a lot of people who are unaffiliated politically who listen to this show. I'm an independent. Uh, I don't know if you're a Democrat or a Republican, I wouldn't care, uh, if you ran for office, but have you thought about or been asked about running for office? So, so I've
1: been asked, um, which way, when, when you're asked, obviously you think, um, and I have no intention, no plan and will not. Um, that's pretty emphatic, I think, <laughs> um, um, here's the thing. I'm a father of two kids and a husband. That's who I am. I don't do what I do today because I desire to be a political figure. Uh, And I don't desire to be a political figure, but I do desire to hold political figures accountable. I like being a pain in the ass. I like forcing people to make sure they're doing the right thing. I like calling out good behavior and highlighting examples of who I think are wonderful political figures and calling out those who aren't and doing everything I can to make sure they don't get reelected. You know what? Our democracy is an amazing thing, but there are people who fuck it up. There are political figures who fuck it up, and they currently um, have used really horrible means to get themselves elected. They've made lying okay, and they've made the truth sound like a lie, Mm. okay? Um, And I'm not just talking about the president. Uh, So you have real, you do, you have bad people who look at the good, decent, civil people who want to just do the work of our citizens, and they call those people bad and evil. And it's fucked up, okay? You have people who have used the levers of our government for really bad purposes. It's going to break November 3rd. America finally gets it, Mm -hmm. okay? And the reality is you have an occupant in the White House right now who knows just how bad his political climate is, which is why you have an RT convention right now that is not even making an appeal to a broad base of Americans. They're not even trying to win. They're trying to amp up their base. They're trying to create the illusion that there's that the vote is gonna be fixed. Mm. which is why, and he's doing everything he has to fix it. Okay. Who's been fucking with the post office? This administration, right? Who's now saying drop boxes, which are an alternative to the post office are a bad thing. This administration, he knows he is going to lose and he knows he is going to be the reason. The Senate is going to flip. Mm. Okay, American people get it. The American people are going to fix it. And you know what? It's time to get back to decency, civility, and pragmatic people who don't agree on policy, but agree it's our obligation to do the work of the American people. We'll figure it out.
0: Hell yeah. <laughs> this is why I want you to run, Fred, even though you don't want to run. <coughs> but but I think, you know, there's another part of this too, Fred, which is on some levels, I, I I do believe there is a strategy. I call him President Mayhem all the time, but I think the strategy oh, yeah. at this point may be a recognition that they are going to lose. They're going to throw some Hail Marys here and try to win, but a recognition that they are going to lose and they need to ramp up and amplify and unite the base to motivate the resistance. They are going to have to go from being the institution to being the resistance. And, and that's going to have to happen quickly in November. So there, you know, I think there is some strategy. I think Trump does have a strategic mind in there somewhere. And part of this is recognizing that they may have to get exiled they may have to, you know, politically go to the Isle of Malta and they think they can come back again or they'll just create their own you know, entity, whatever it is somewhere else that still abides by that ideology. But th- th- this moment in time is so precarious. It's it's so important. And you, I think, are one of those voices that actually move people, that move people. You know, there aren't too many people, I think, that are undecided, but there are some and and you can sway them. You've been very vocal about Joe Biden. Uh, I have been too. I think most of all because I've been around him. Uh, People who know me know that I've said he's one of the few people I would work for in Washington, regardless of party. I felt that way about John McCain. I felt that way about select people. But it's because I've seen him and the person he is. And I think he's also the right guy for the moment because he understands tragedy. And we've gone through a tragedy. The Trump administration and all these losses and problems have been a tragedy for America. And when you look at right now, Kenosha, you look at the hurricane, you look at the wildfires. You look at the NBA. If you send Trump into any of those situations it 's going to get worse. If you send Joe Biden into those situations, it might get better right And maybe throw you know Kamala Harris in there too, maybe they can make it better. Maybe they can move us forward, and that 's enough for me because it 's not just about joe biden it 's about the alternative being catastrophic and 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 we can 't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. But I want to ask you if you can, Fred and I'm, I want to be mindful of your time quickly. What is it about Joe Biden that you know that other people might not know, that you want them to know that might influence their decision in November?
1: You know, you just summed it up. Um, Listen, Joe Biden reached out to me when he wasn't in government and he wasn't running for anything, but he reached out to me as, as a person, as a human being. And it wasn't just a cursory conversation. When he takes the time to do things like that, he takes the time to be really meaningful about it. And he, he the decency, the civility, the humanity, and the thought that he put into his one conversation with me, okay, it's... The the preparation that he put into his one conversation with me to make sure I knew what to prepare for, to make sure that my family did not end up like 92% of other families after an incident like this, and where husband and wife end up in a divorce. Mm. He wanted me to be prepared, and he came to talk to me about that. It blows me away. The former vice president of the United States, on our little conversation, that that was that important to him. Mm -hmm. Now, take that across this country right now. That a guy who truly feels in his heart that what's best for him as a president is what's best for the American citizens. That the pain that American citizens going are going through is his pain, but that the joy that they go through is also joy for all of us. Mm-hmm. He gets it. And he also knows how to lead. Okay? Mm-hmm. We've seen it. He knows how to take a moment. Uh, listen, uh, this week, with this kid with the AR-15, the RNC is going to throw a field on that. Because it gets to what you said, because they're gonna lose and they're building the resistance, they are going to use every mechanism possible to make people afraid to vote and then afraid of what happens if they vote. And that includes violence, okay? Joe Biden is not about throwing fuel on a fire. He's about bringing us together so that we can live amongst one another. Mm. That's the
0: president I want. Fred, your book is coming out in uh, right after September 11th. Uh, I think there it is. You show for those folks who are watching on video. He's holding it up. It's called Find the Helpers. Uh, if you're listening, you can pre-order it now. And I will tell you, as an author myself, pre-order it. That helps Fred get the momentum <laughs> and come you. out of the gate uh, at the top of the bestseller list. And I want angry Americans to do all we can to help make this book a bestseller. But Fred, one of the pieces of the story that folks may not know that it was especially important to me is your brother's story. Your brother was a 9/11 first responder. Um, Your brother was 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 affected by um, Mm -hmm. you know 9/11 health impacts that we've covered at length on this show. We've had Rob, Sarah. I've talked about my experiences. You fought for the Zadroga bill that I now am a part of. I go get a checkup because of that legislation, and so do many others. Um, I want to give you a chance to talk about that part of your story and the book and how you think it applies to this moment now as we approach the 19th anniversary of of 9-11 and the backdrop of the chaos that's happening now. For me and you, you know, for a long time, that was as bad as we thought it could get. And here we are now. Things are so much worse. But what, what do you want folks to know about your brother and about that part of your story, Fred?
1: My brother was a year younger than me. My brother lived his entire life to help others. From the day he could ride a bicycle, he used to go chasing fire trucks and ambulances, you know? It's just who he was. And my brother, um, unlike me, probably more like you, Paul, was the person who would run towards tragedy while others were running away because that's the way he was wired. It's what he did on 9-11. While, after the first building had gotten hit, at the time my brother was the deputy medical director of the New York Fire Department, Um, and his office was literally just a block or two away from the World Trade Center. So he was at the World Trade Center before the second building got hit. He was in the World Trade Center when it collapsed with a group of about 10 other doctors. And they managed to hide out in a room down below. Um, Well, let me take a step back. They were setting up the triage. That's where they were going to do a triage. Nobody thought the buildings were going to collapse. Then they hear more noise and rumbling, and they realize what it was. They hit out. When the noise stopped, amazingly, for whatever reason, this room didn't collapse. And they found a different way out of the room because the way they went in was blocked by rubble. Um, and spent 16 days at ground zero treating people, breathing everything in. Um, and unfortunately, um, a bunch of years after that, got the cancer that resulted uh, pancreatic, had surgery, chemo, radiation. seemed cancer-free for a few years until it came back in his liver and his lungs and just infested his body. Um, so my brother was a hero, but he hated that word. He hated to think of himself as that way. I used to make a big deal out of my brother's service at 11 and piss him off. Because it's not the way he wanted to be known. He wanted to be known as somebody who helped others, who taught others, who mentored other first responders. That's the way he was wired. Um, But for me, honoring his legacy and who... What really defined his adult life was very important, which is why I did work on, on things with 9 11 and worked with the uh, museum to build that new section known as the Glade, which honors people who didn't die that day. Um, because we have heroes in this country people who are always there. It gets back to what Fred Roberts said in Find the Helpers, what, what he said. You know, my mama always used to tell me whenever there's terrible things happening and tragedy, always look to the helpers, the policemen, the firemen, the doctors, your neighbor. As long as there are helpers, there is hope. Well, as long as there are helpers, what my brother has taught me is that there is hope. There's always somebody there to step up. And I've seen it brought to the millionth degree after my daughter's murder um, and so what i want people to know to kind of tie it all up after 9-11 this country did what we needed to do to ensure there's not another 9-11 on november 3rd i have hope i know it this country is going to vote and we're going to finally take the steps that we need to take to start you, don't end, you can't end gun violence. There's too many weapons out there, but we can reduce it. We can save lives, and we're going to start after November 3rd. I have hope.
0: Fred, anybody who hears this conversation is going to have hope because you're going to give them hope. And I want to ask you uh, the final question I ask of, of all of our guests. You give people hope. You bring great energy. Uh, despite all you've been through, you continue to inspire and motivate
1: others. But, Fred Gutenberg, what makes you happy? What makes me happy, um, watching my son live his life, um, being in my happy place in the mountains of North Carolina, um, messing around with cars, and and knowing, knowing that the amazing people that I've met across this country, it's not a fluke. This country is full of them.
0: You are awesome, Fred. And I am hoping that everyone will pick up your book. Uh, they can find it on Amazon and everywhere else. We'll link to it on all the Angry Americans websites and social media properties. But before we do, uh, I can't give you a cutlass uh, and I can't give you a cool uh, video game chair, but I do have gifts that I will send wow. to you now. And then when we get back together in person at the car club, we can, we can do some more. But first off, I got some Angry Americans gear coming your way. You're, You're awesome. awesome. You can you can rock that wherever your journeys take you uh, or if they take you nowhere at all, just around the country in that really cool chair. But you got some Angry American here, coming from Oscar Mike. I've also got a bottle of Uncle Nearest, our friend uh. Uncle Nearest, <laughs> the best whiskey in America. Uh, folks who know the show have heard the story of... of of, of near a screen, Jeffrey Wright turned us on to this brand, and now they've been really supportive. Incredible whiskey, great message, great story, and we got a bottle of that coming to you for your old fashions or
1: anything else, Fred. Um, All when, when when COVID is done with, you and I are going to go hang out
0: one night. Yeah, I man, we're going to have a big party. We're going to have a big fucking party. I, I mean, it's going to be the most random assortment of people. <laughs> uh, I've I've told uh, Cuomo and others we're going to get the Camaro. We got to find your cutlass. We'll get all 75 guests or whatever we're at at that point to bring a car to the car club, and we'll throw a party, man. And we'll throw a party, wow. and maybe we can do it to benefit uh, 9-11 first responders and the Ray Pfeiffer
1: Foundation. My car and toy now is a 2019 orange Mustang GT convertible. Ooh. Orange was Jamie's favorite color, uh, so uh,
0: I'll bring that. Well, that's a good. good segue into our, into our last gift slash question, which is if folks listen to the show or watch the show, they know that the peeps question is something we always do. And we have three colors of peeps here, Fred, yellow, blue, and pink. Which color do you choose and why? Well, listen,
1: blue has always been my favorite color. So um, my Mustang before the orange one was blue, but now I have an orange one for obvious reasons. Um, but but I'm always blue. Love it,
0: love it, love it. Well, you uh, you're bringing blue skies to a lot of people during some dark times, man. And you right. have been for years, and even before uh, you know 2018. I know that folks around you were inspired by you, and you're a you're a model of leadership as a, as a member of the community, as a business leader, as a dad, as an activist, as an American, as a New Yorker, and and I just want to tell you how inspired I am by you. Um, how humbled I am to have you join me at this time in in history, how excited I am about your book. Uh, I want to encourage everybody to check that book out, follow you on social media. I think my wife said you're one of her favorite people to follow on social media. I would echo echo that. Um, But but Fred Gutenberg, you are a truly important, inspiring, and, and iconic American. And we are so grateful for your leadership and can't wait to see where you go from here. Thank you for leading us through tough times now and all the times you'll do it in the future, my friend. Take care, my friend. I appreciate you. All right, my friend. Stay frosty. (laughs) Thanks. Take care. (laughs) Fred Gutenberg is what leadership is all about. Fred Gutenberg is what America is all about. And Fred Gutenberg is what our future is all about. So I am so humbled and grateful that he can join us. My thank you again to Fred for joining us. Please follow him on Twitter. Please check out his book, Find the Helpers, which hits stands in September. But you can pre-order it right now. So wherever you get your books, go ahead and pre-order Fred Gutenberg's Look for the Helpers. I've already read it. It's fantastic, and I highly recommend it. My thanks to the entire Righteous Media team that powers this podcast and makes all our work possible. Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz. Thanks to our friends at Uncle Nearest, who are a huge supporter of this show. Try the best whiskey in America with the best story in America. Go to UncleNearest.com. Big shout-out and thanks to our Patreon members, the Vigilant, the very Vigilant, the most Vigilant. Big thanks to Bill Woods, who just joined, Nikki Waltman, who just joined, and Brian Turco. Welcome to the Vigilant. Welcome to our Patreon community. If you are on Patreon, you can look for Angry Americans. If you're not, Patreon is a way to get behind the scenes and help support independent, fiery media like this. If you like Angry Americans, Be a part of our community. It's a way to support this just like you would NPR or some other kind of public media. And you get behind the scenes access to videos and eventually events. So big thanks to Bill, Nikki, Brian. Welcome to the Patreon community and all our Patreon members who help keep things going. Of course, big thanks to my wife and my two boys. Uh, We continue to celebrate my son's fifth birthday. And as an example of how there is always light in darkness, my son rode a bike with no training wheels this week. On his birthday week, he rode a bike with no training wheels. Very exciting. It was a dusty crop hopper bike we got from the dump, which makes it that much more amazing. But big shout out to my son Ryder again on his fifth birthday and our entire family for making it special. And just great job, buddy. You're riding a bike with no training wheels. And how awesome is that? Speaking of awesome, I want to share with you a new song that has got me motivated and is helping me get through these tough times and I hope will help you too. Check out this new track from the great Jack Johnson with the group Milky Chance called Don't Let Me Down.
1: I seen her and yeah, she got me shining, oh, she really did, like no one ever did. I've seen him fall, and yet she made the call, and so much in between you never can redeem. Just fly a little bit, oh, fly a little forever, leaving ground, amazement that
0: right now we're all pulling for each other and we're pulling for Joe Biden. We need him to not let us down. The challenge for the Democrats always, but especially right now, is to not screw it up. The Democrats had a couple things they had to do to not screw this up. Number 1, they had to pick the right candidate and pick Joe Biden. They did that. Joe Biden had to not screw it up and had to nail the convention. He did that. Now, They just got to keep them alive. If they can keep Joe Biden alive and stay focused, they will not let us down. We will beat Donald Trump and we will start to rebuild a brighter future of America. So don't let me down. Don't let us down, Joe. Don't let us down, Democrats. Don't let us down, fellow Americans. One guy we know will not let us down is Fred Gutenberg. I know you will not let us down, so please keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you, I hear you, I'm with you. Go to Angry Americans, sign up for our newsletter, check out our YouTube page, follow us on social media, and tell your friends, subscribe now for free and share. This podcast is free, and we hope it brings you integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. We'll continue to adapt, improvise, and overcome. We will not let you down and we will keep this movement growing week by week by week and remember it's okay to be angry especially now and know you're not alone we're all a little angry that's because we're paying attention i'm your host paul Reichov. thanks for listening please don't let us down be a helper wear a mask stay frosty and stay vigilant america